we're like the kid who raises his hand before the question's even finally asked, and we go, ooh, 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 I have the answer, I have the answer. The problem is, people want to say, hey, I heard your question, and your question is important. You are important. They want to be connected to that way. We don't naturally do that because we're, we're a quick-fix, answer-oriented culture, and we really need to just slow down a little bit. Be psycho-logical, not just logical. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, former Boy Scout archery expert and America's college recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Oh, Coach, you are going to love today's podcast. You're going to love it. You're going to use this information, and it's something that you probably haven't been taught before. You may not have even heard it being uh, been discussed before because it's something that only the best salespeople in the world would know to study. But fortunately, you're going to be talking and listening to one of the best salespeople in the world. No, not me. It is uh, another individual we are interviewing who holds a pretty special place in my heart, and here's why. I'm going to tell you the story of who we're going to talk to, and that person today is Mark Giganti. Mark Giganti, if, if a lot of you talk about or ask me, hey, how did this start? How did you get into sales? How did you uh, become knowledgeable enough to teach all of us as coaches the sales techniques we need to know, the communication techniques we need to know to be better recruiters? Uh, this individual is one of the people that I point to as somebody that taught me so many of the good foundational elements of effective selling and somebody that I still think, I will say today, is probably the best sales professional in the world from, that may be overstating it, if, if you were to ask him, he's not going to agree with me. This is my perspective. Uh, from a communicative standpoint, from a sales intelligence standpoint, uh, Mark Giganti is somebody that you're not going to find very many individuals in this country, in the world, uh, be able to compete with. Uh, and I am fortunate enough to call him friend. And how we got to be friends was when I went to work in the corporate world, in the professional sales world, coming out of television broadcasting in my uh, early, mid-20s, he was probably the first person that influenced me and that really had an impact in teaching me. Uh, when I went to their corporate training center, uh, that was one of the first people. In fact, he was starting his first day as a corporate trainer in that particular facility that I was in. And so he was one of the people that oversaw the training uh, uh, on, on the corporate side for me. And then later on, he became the person that managed uh, our district for this large national company that I worked for uh, back in my, my 20s. And, and we've had this ongoing relationship over the years when he's gone into other businesses. He has a fascinating history. I'll just tell you really quick. He was in, very successful in the corporate world. Um, decided to transition, and uh, he and I founded uh, back in the 
very early 90s, a, um, a recruiting service. This is back before the internet, before what you would consider a recruiting service was. This was more advising and teaching uh, athletes how to go through the process and then contacting coaches to, uh, to help them make contact with recruits that they may not otherwise know about. And he was involved in the early stages of that, transitioned out of that, and became a corporate sales trainer and advisor uh, with his own firm and uh, with his own area in Southern California that he, he did that for and was wildly successful. Again, because he is probably the uh, one of the greatest sales professionals in the world. And then his life and his professional career took a, a turn, and without spending too much time getting into it, uh, he became the uh, he basically left the corporate world, put himself through seminary, and now is a pastor of a church in Virginia. And uh, on a recent trip to Virginia, where uh, I had a few extra hours in between client meetings. I got the opportunity to, to catch up with him, and I usually I talk to him several times a year. The first time I've seen him probably in two years. We had a little bit of extra time, and he agreed to talk about this topic that I think is going to be really, really interesting for you. So uh, I think when you hear him, you're going to understand what I mean by in, in terms of his sales knowledge and and understand that this is somebody that. Uh, whenever you get a, to be around this person or somebody like him, you take advantage of it by becoming smarter. And that's what I try to do every time I'm around the amazing Mark Gigani. And so that's who we're going to talk to today. And, and you're going to be better for it as a recruiter and as a coach when you listen to this interview. As we got into our conversation with Mark Chagani, we really wanted to zero down and focus on something that uh, was meaningful and immediately impactful for coaches. Because quite honestly, I could probably talk to him for three hours straight, and maybe someday we'll do that on the uh, on the podcast. But for this session, we really wanted to zero in on one specific aspect that I think coaches struggle with in the recruiting process. And I'm going to go back to something that we've talked a lot on the podcast, as well as in the articles we do that are posted at dantutor.com on, on the blog. And that centers around the idea of leading a conversation, especially when it comes to an objection or something that a prospect would throw at you as a coach, that you would feel like, how do I get past that? Or what are they really saying? Or maybe they say something and your immediate reaction is, how do I answer that and combat it? And now it's this game of back and forth and you're trading punches. And I think brilliantly, Mark Gigani brings up a concept that I really want coaches to focus on and I really want coaches to listen to and to ask yourself, does this ever become something that I get trapped in in my conversations with recruits? And it's this idea of, again, only focusing on trying to move the conversation forward and not taking a pause and in doing so actually endearing yourself a little bit to your prospect and getting them to feel like you're the coach you're the recruiter that is actually taking the time to listen to them and to understand how they feel. And so we started off the conversation, and I asked Mark, what was, if, if that is sort of the, the big problem with coaches, or that's the one challenge that they have 
uh, to deal with. And, and it's the same thing that salespeople have as a challenge. Uh, what would he do and what would he immediately focus on to begin answering this question of how to really understand where your prospect's coming from and where they truly need to go in a sales or a recruiting conversation? Well, the one thing that I know a lot of salespeople, including me, focused on was getting to an end goal. Um, uh, the idea that we had to have an agenda in place and force the agenda and move the agenda, what happened a lot of times in sales was we would actually miss the prospect because the prospect might say something like, wow, I'm having a really tough time making a decision. And we'd say, well, here, let me solve that for you. Let me do this. Let me do that. And, and although we would offer some kind of a solution, we weren't connecting to the prospect. And that's what people want to be heard and understand that you know who they are and that you care about them and then offer some kind of a solution. So how, how I used to answer that question, well, I'm having trouble making a decision. Well, Bob, let me uh, help you make that decision. We'll just go this way. Now, that's how I used to do stuff. That's how I heard a lot of salespeople do it. And sometimes it would work. What really works, though, is when Bob says, I'm having trouble making a decision, and you say, yeah, Bob, making a decision this important is kind of difficult, isn't it? Just asking that, just saying that, and offering yourself to them in that way moves you from an adversarial position on the other side of the table to sitting right next to them on their side of the table so that you're looking maybe at a solution together then because they feel heard and connected to you. So I'd say with every question or objection that comes, forget about trying to solve it until you first let the person know that you've heard them. So at the, at the core, that's about relating to people. And a lot of salespeople don't you're talking about taking the time to relate and to understand and, and really pause and get them to kind of reveal what it is that that might be at the core of them, not in this case, being able to make a decision. So my question for you is, because you've managed people, you've trained people, uh, you've hired and you've fired, why why is it so hard for a sales professional or a coach or just really anybody to take the time to do what you're suggesting they do, which is to pause and almost dig a little bit deeper into the motivation that somebody has for either deciding to do something or not deciding to do something. Here's the thing. When you have the answer to the question already, you're approaching this logically. You as the coach, if, if we're talking to our audience, so you're talking about the coach has the answer, you'd be a perfect fit, this is a great school, why don't you want to play here? Right, and it makes logical sense, not just to you as a coach, but anybody that you share that with would understand that. The problem is, and I, I was taught this a long time ago, people are not logical, we are psychological. You have to connect with them first, with the feeling that they have, you got to get on their side and then show them the logic. If you don't, you pass them right by. Um, the, the example I heard was from 
somebody who um, you know calls in with a customer service issue and says, "You guys are ripping me off. You got blah 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 blah. My bill's three times what it used to be." And if you say then, um, may I have your account number? Um, well, what's your address? Uh, would you spell your name for me? And then get put on hold, and then you go to the next person, and they say, how can I help you? And you've got to go through that again. They just want to go straight for logic. You are still in the psycho, in the feeling part of that. How's that handled best? My bill's three times what it is. You know, you guys are ripping me off. Well, the best thing you could say is that customer service representative is, gosh, if I'd have gotten a bill that was three times as much as I normally get, I'd be calling me too. I'd be pretty darn upset. I'm glad you got a hold of me. Let's see what we can do about this together. See, you move yourself from that adversarial position to that collegial position. You're right next to them, and you can help them through the issue. Okay, so... You've explained uh, what it is that either happens correctly or happens incorrectly in that kind of an interaction. But again, going to the core of, of people, because you're now in the people business, and I'm just wondering, why isn't that more of a natural thing? Why aren't we predisposed to saying, hey, wow, that, wow, that, sound, that really sounds bad, that if I had that kind of a bill problem, I'd be probably even more upset than you are, and you know, tell me more about it where that's going to delay us solving the problem, and yet that's what the person on the other end of the line wants in that case. And again, for coaches, jumping right into the process of making a decision, and here's my timeline, I need the decision by then, when this family, it's a very emotional decision to, to go to decide on a college. So why don't people, why don't people do what you're suggesting naturally without having to be taught or reminded to do it? As coaches, as managers, as parents, we're fixers. Mm. We want to have an answer and we want to fix and we want to help. Think about what coaching is. Coaching's taking someone who has an ability or a skill and helping them be better by perfecting what they have, by giving answers to unanswered questions that they have. How do I make that cut? How does that pass work? What do I do? We provide answers and care in that way logically. So, of course, we want to do that when something... We're like the kid who raises his hand before the question's even finally asked, and we go, ooh, 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 I have the answer, I have the answer. The problem is people want to say, hey, I heard your question, and your question is important. You are important. They want to be connected to that way. We don't naturally do that because we're, we're a quick-fix, answer-oriented culture, and we really need to just slow down a little bit. Be psycho-logical, not just logical. Does it work the other way, too, where you can have somebody that is so much of a relational person that they form great relationships? Certainly in sales, you've seen the people that are fantastic, friendly, I spent an hour there in their office, and I'm going to come back next week. Well, wait a minute. Didn't you, you know, achieve what you were wanting to go in and do? No, but I had a really great talk, and I think next time. The coach that makes friends, is the best friend, can call and, and uh, be on the phone with, a, with an athlete or the parents with no problem, but they never get around to actually 
asking for the commitment. I, I just what I'm hearing you say is th there's that side of it too, right? Where you can go too far over on the other side. Yeah, it's a balance. You, you've got to, you know, some people say ABC, always be closing. You're always working towards something, but you have to take that in steps. Look, I don't jump across a river um, that's two miles wide. What do I do? I step on a rock. I check to make sure I'm okay. Then I step on the next rock. I step on the next rock. I know where I'm going, but I have to stop on those rocks to make sure that someone's still with me. I have to be with them in crossing that. And that's the difference between a professional salesperson and a professional visitor. <laughs> right. Okay? Right. Um, look, we all want to be loved. Right. We all want to be um, the person who, when I call, someone's excited to get my call. But that doesn't necessarily help somebody solve a problem, solve an issue. There has to be a balance between hearing someone and being heard by someone. And that's what coaches do and need to do. That's what I do in my job. I have to do that. Otherwise, I'm not at all effective. So we started with a question that you answered, which is given the perspective that you have now, coming out of sales and now into ministry, and again, where you're dealing very closely with people, give me one or two other things that you would say, now that I have this perspective, here's what I wish I would have done differently, or, or what I wish I would have been able to teach uh, sales professionals to do better, uh, now that, again, that I've been removed and I can and have some perspective on it. He's thinking, I've stumped. Mark Giganti. This is actually a big moment for me. I've stumped. He's just, since you're listening to this on this podcast, you're, he's rubbing his uh, grain go, goatee mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, and struggling to answer. This is actually interesting to, to watch. Okay. What I, would, what I would tell salespeople differently than I did in in um, in the past. If I could teach them this, it would be to fail fast. Hmm. That sounds weird, doesn't it? To fail fast. What I mean is, you've got to try something once. And if it doesn't work, try the exact same thing in the exact same way a second time. And if that fails equally as miserably, don't do it a third time. Change one portion of that. Try that one time, see if it works. Fail at that and continue to work until you have something that does work. What a lot of people do is they'll try something, it doesn't work, and then they immediately switch horses and they go someplace else and they try that and that doesn't work. Well, the second time might have been the right time and that was the one out of ten they weren't going to get. So believe in what it is you're doing enough that you'll try it twice and then change one little variable and see how that works. I'd say that that would be something I'd, uh, I think would bring people a lot greater success. Okay. Let me ask you another question to sort of take it a different direction. That there are a lot of coaches that would be listening to this that would say they'd hear the confidence in your voice or the way that you would... Uh, uh, present yourself or or approach these problems 
And they're probably thinking, okay, well, that's great for Mark, who was a high-powered salesperson. That's great for Dan, who now kind of has this theory behind him. But I'm at this school, and you guys don't understand. I don't have the budget. Our facility isn't what it should be. We battle these other three schools in our conference that just aren't as good. And so there's that negative self-talk which since we're talking about psychology and people and the way people react, mm -hmm. can you address that? That if you're, if you're somebody who just feels like, I just can't do this anymore or the world's out to get me and I just don't have the tools and resources that somebody else we compete with has, kind of bring them back, uh, stepping back from the edge a little bit. What would your advice be to them? Yeah, I'd say that everybody experiences that. Think about a salesperson selling, I don't know, a training program maybe. Um, to a business. Well, if they say, yeah, 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 look, uh, you know, we don't have the resources or I'm not sure that's the right thing. Well, what I'd want to talk about is, you know, I sold a program like this to a company similar to yours and here's what it meant to them. I'm not saying it'll mean the exact same to you, but I'd have a couple of success stories that you could share. Put the person that you're talking to in the middle of that success story. And, and it, it's not that it's a, um, it's a cut and paste, but you at least have to give them the opportunity for that vision, right. that, that they'll see that. I'll say this one other thing, too, that I would say um, where salespeople, I think, make a big mistake. 80% uh, of the time or more, you will get one of two objections to whatever it is you're trying to sell. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the most polished, fantastic answer an objection handle for objection one and objection two for 80% of the time, then you're really not working to be as effective as you can be. Now, can you come up with 12 obscure objections? Yeah, of course you can. But of those objections, 80% are going to come from objection number one and number two. Have those nailed down. Let's say, oh, well, um, you know, your school isn't offering as much money or your school isn't as big. Again, having a wonderful objection handle that says, well, you're right, we're not offering as much money, but what we are offering is blah, 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 blah. Playing time, uh, more hands-on experience with the coaches, whatever it is. Oh, your, 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 your school's a lot smaller than the other ones, right, which means you're going to get a personalized education, and whatever benefits and incentives there are there for that prospect, that's what you need to focus on. Have those nailed down. And what, this idea of objections, you know, as you were talking about that, it sort of struck me that really the business that a sales professional is in, certainly that a coach is in, is almost recognizing that you're dealing with somebody that is psychologically trying to overcome something in their mind that for whatever reason they're stuck on uh, your facility or your offering, whatever it is. And would you say that it's your job to help sort of almost dive inside their mind and help them work out that issue for for themselves? I mean, with your help and your guidance? In, in other words, if, if, if they have an objection and all you do is provide an answer and then move on, well, in your mind, okay, I've answered it, but in their mind, they're wrestling with something. So I'm just like, how do you? I'm asking you, how do you dive in and and you know 
psychologically help them through that? Because I guess that's at the core of, of the objection that they're bringing up. So if I hear exactly what you're saying, Dan. If someone says, well, your school is too small, the first thing, instead of saying, well, a small school is really good and, and you should want being a small school, being, being defensive about it is, um, and not even trying to explain it away, but Dan, the size of the school seems to matter to you a lot, doesn't it? You know, when you're making a decision like this, that's one of the most important things for you to consider. And it seems to be especially important for you, doesn't it? All I'm doing right there is I'm getting on the same side as you, and I'm, I'm telling you, you're not, you're not crazy for having that idea. And, and it's okay that you do. And, hey, let me, let me try to help you and I together look at this. So... Let me run through it again. So, so Dan, you said that the school is kind of small compared to some of the others you're looking at. And I said, my response is, well, size is something that's really important to you in terms of a school, isn't it? You say, yeah. I say, well, um, you know, when you're making a decision that's as important as this, taking a look at the size of the school as well as some of the other factors is probably one of the most important things you can do, and it's really important to you. Well, I'll tell you what, together, let's look at where size matters. What's good about a small school? What's good about a big school? Let's take a look at this particular school, my school, and figure out if this is the right fit for you. Because I'll tell you what, if it's not, then I want to be able to help guide you to where it is you want to be. You're almost. It almost seems like you're pushing almost a psychological pause button as they're running through in this, this hyperactive, here's my objections. I don't know if I don't know, but what if, what if, and you're and instead of responding with more hyperactivity and just a series of answers, you're almost forcing them to sort of pause and let it all marinate a little bit. Fair enough. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. That's no, that's it. Exactly. And, and you're welcoming yourself into their life. You're welcoming yourself into their decision-making process by doing that, and they will respond in kind by saying, yes, I welcome you in. That's true. You didn't actually, uh, it wasn't them that invited you in. You're, you are inviting yourself in. So, so then there's, let's say that answers the objection. Do you feel like at that point then is it important to ask? So, are you ready to move forward, or where do you? I guess where do you take it from there? Let's say a coach has listened to this and say, "Wow, powerful point. I think I could do that." Welcoming myself in, and now that they say, "Okay, you know what? You made some great points about the size of the school. Maybe that isn't so important anymore." What what happens next? Like, where do you where do you take that? What would be the next psychological thing? Because now I sort of get the feeling like they're they're putty in your hands a little bit. That now you've you've invited in. They've now you're sitting in their their mental furniture, and mm-hmm. so what happens now? Yeah, so I think so that you don't get on the objection handling train where there's box car after box <laughs> car after right. box car. What you do is you start to look for the caboose, and you say, "So Dan, look at that. You've just said that. Hey, maybe that size of the school isn't as important." What are some of the other determining factors that you're wrestling with right now? And, Dan, you say, um, 
playing time or... It's a little too far from home. I didn't know I'd go that far away from home. Right. So my next question would be, besides those two things, is there anything else that would keep you from being able to make a decision as to your future? Now, hopefully you say, um, no, that's it. So then let's do the same thing. Let's you and I sit in this other piece of furniture, okay, in the mental furniture. Um, let's, let's take a look at that it being too far from home kind of thing or a little further than you think. And I would go through whatever those other objections were in the same way, getting on the same side and offering some solutions. And once I was done with that, according to them, I had the right to ask them to move forward with me. You see, I've, because what I've done is, because if I answer those two objections about size and, and, the, and playing time, and then they say, oh yeah, and, and, and there's the color of your uniforms, and, uh, and then there's the, you know, the, whatever it is, they could keep going and going and going as a put-off. Right. But what I'm going to do is I say, pretty much if I identify those are the only things, and I answer those things, then I've earned the right to be able to move things forward or to stop right there because they're not truly interested. And then I don't waste my time that I could be spending with a prospect who I actually can help make a decision. Right. So I'll go back to the last question. When a coach is listening to this and they feel this hesitation, oh, yeah, that sounds really good, and I think Mark, Mark can obviously do it. He's, he's good at it. But I'm not a salesperson. I don't know if I could do it. What you're talking about really is is human relationships and and understanding people and taking the time to do that. So, as sort of the last uh, you know last piece of advice I'd have you give coaches if they are feeling like I don't know if I could go through and do what you just outlined doing, give them some encouragement or or tell them hey here's here's how to think about this. Well, um, uh, there's a couple of things to consider. Number one. Uh, nobody starts out, nobody comes out of the womb as a salesperson. Okay, but we I all... I think you did, but well, <laughs> that's beside... We'll put that aside for a second. Okay. So um, we all learn those behaviors. Um, and we're probably more salespeople than we think we are. Um, here's the thing I would say. If we're talking about human relationships and we're talking about problem solving, helping people psychologically to overcome things in their lives... Why don't you give it a try at home? Why don't you try it with your kids? Try it with your brother or sister's kids, your nieces and nephews. Take one problem that they have, one thing that they're struggling with, and build your confidence there. This is, it's a learned behavior. You can either try it with a prospect or you can try it with a staff member who you're going to see after you're done with this podcast. And they've got an issue, why not try to get on their side and try to do this very same thing? Practice there. All right, coaches, you just heard from one of the best sales professionals in the country. We hope you follow his advice. 
very, very good stuff there. And we want to thank Mark Gigani for being our guest. Hey, head over to dantutor.com for some really big news on the conference we're hosting this summer for recruiters. There's still time to register and get your big discount for that and a lot more on the website. Until next time, we hope you have a great week out there doing the most important job you have, which is recruiting.